as I look out, I recognize many of you are like me. Uh, you, not, not the southern accent part, but you, you have glasses, just like I have glasses. And you know how important it is to keep your glasses clean. Uh, a one speck of dust or a speck of dust or rainwater um, can, can drastically affect your view. And it's important that we keep our lenses clean so we can see properly. Well, you've got a group that's just returned from Thailand on a, a missionary journey. And you find as you travel around the world that people have, they view things differently. Americans have one view of things. Uh, Thai people have a view. Brazilians, we lived in Brazil for three and a half years before we came to New York. Brazilians have a way they view the world. And folks who study missions and cultures describe this as worldview. How you view your world is your worldview through the lenses which you see things around you. It's called worldview. And just to give you one brief example, when we lived in Brazil, I discovered that Brazilians view the world differently than Americans. We're a little more time-oriented here in the U.S. And so this service started this morning at about 9 o'clock. It'll end uh, about, uh, well, I'll finish preaching in another hour. Okay, not, not so much. Uh, but we're, the second service, there'll be another service that'll start at what time? 11 o'clock. Well, and that's okay. That's not a negative thing. That's just part of our worldview. It's a part of our culture. In Brazil, not so much. <laughs> uh, they're more people-oriented and less driven by a clock. And a very real example that happened to me at where this became apparent was my very first faculty meeting when I was a new missionary in Brazil. I taught at a Baptist seminary, and I thought, man, I'm going to be there early, want to make a good impression for the director of the seminary and make a good impression for the other faculty. So the faculty meeting was supposed to start at 9 on a Monday morning. So I arrive at 8.50. And the door to the faculty room's not even unlocked. <laughs> I mean, nobody's there. So 9 o'clock comes, still just me. About 9, 10, somebody shows up and at least unlocks the door to the faculty lounge. About 9, 20, a few other professors show up. Eventually, by 9.30 or 9.35, the meeting starts. Now, so in my American mindset, I'm thinking... What on earth is going on? This meeting was supposed to have started at 9 o'clock. There goes 30 minutes of my day. I could be grading Greek, Greek quizzes. I could be translating notes. I could have slept in. I mean, I, you know, the list goes on. But in a Brazilian mindset, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Why are you so uptight? Uh, everybody's here now. We'll just get started. Coffee's perking and we'll, we'll start. So it's just the way people view the world. But in these verses right here that we're going to look at from Matthew 9, we're going to see that we can learn from Jesus how to see the world through his eyes. And so as we look this morning at these verses, Jesus is going to help us to be able to see things like he sees them. And so I invite you to Matthew 9. I'll begin reading in verse 35 and just read through the end of the chapter, four verses through verse 38. Matthew tells us, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, 
and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Would you join me as I just say a brief word of prayer? Father, would your word open before us this morning? We ask you to open our ears, open our hearts, and help us to hear what you would say today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Seeing like Jesus sees. So these four verses reveal three things that will help us to be able to see like Jesus sees. Well, what's the first one? Well, to be able to see like Jesus sees, number one, we need to be moving in the right direction. Moving in the right direction. Now, look at the very first phrase of verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages. So in this particular portion of Scripture, Jesus is moving. He's on the move. But what's interesting to me is you study all of Matthew chapter 9, you realize that Jesus is moving all through the chapter. And I won't read all these verses, but I'll, I'll reference them. Look at Matthew 9, 1, Jesus is moving. At Matthew 9, 9, Jesus is moving. At Matthew 9, 19, Jesus is moving. At Matthew 9, 27, Jesus is moving. At Matthew 9, 32, five times prior to this one verse, Jesus is moving. He's moving in a direction. Now, we know eventually from our study of the New Testament that his ultimate destination, at least from an earthly standpoint, was what? Well, a cross. Where he went, where his life was to take him, where he would sacrifice himself for you and me and to pay the penalty for our sins. So his life was moving in a direction. So let me ask you this morning, if you really want to see like Jesus sees, our lives need to be moving in the right direction. And so I ask you, is yours? Is your life moving in the right direction? Can you say, for example, with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, this one thing I do, I forget things that lie behind, I strive forward to things that lie ahead, reaching towards the call of the, uh, I'm reaching towards the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Is there one thing that you're pursuing? That's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, for us to really be able to see, like Jesus sees, we need to be moving in the right direction in our own lives, spiritually moving, growing, maturing in our lives. Jesus was on the move in Matthew chapter 9. Are we moving in the right direction? Well, there's a second thing we see in these verses this morning that help us to kind of check our spiritual lenses and note if we're really seeing like Jesus sees, and that's this. To see like Jesus sees, we need to come to a place in our lives where we see below the surface where we see 
below the surface. Now, I teach Greek at the Northeast Campus of Mid-America Baptist Seminary. And as you study Greek, you realize there are at least three Greek words that in their basic definition all mean to see. Like driving up here today, boy, I saw a beautiful, uh, beautiful scenery all around me. Blue skies, the leaves changing, you know, just, just beautiful. Uh, so each of those three Greek words, in their essence, mean to see. But the word that Matthew chooses to use when he describes Jesus in verse 36 is interesting. Look at the first phrase of verse 36. Now it's translated seeing, seeing the people. But this particular Greek word that Matthew uses literally means to see below the surface, to perceive something, not just to see with a view or just to look at something, but to see below the surface, to perceive something that's going on. Why is that interesting? Well, think about what the verse actually says. Look at the words, and seeing the people. See, the verse doesn't say when Jesus saw their clothes. See, the verse doesn't say when Jesus saw their tattoos. The verse doesn't say when Jesus saw their body piercings or when Jesus saw their multicolored hair or interesting hairdos. He saw the people. He got past all those external things and saw them, saw below the surface. And you know what's so easy for me to do? I won't speak for you, but I can speak for me. It's so easy for me frequently to look at those external things and make a judgment about somebody. I see the tattoos, or I see the body piercings, or I see the hair, or I see whatever it is, the dress, or this, or that, or the other thing, and I've already prejudged and made a judgment about somebody. And if we really want to be able to see like Jesus sees, We've got to come to a place where we see below the surface, where we see beyond those external things and see people. That's what Jesus saw. He saw the people. Now, when he saw the people, what did he really see? Well, look at the, uh, a couple of phrases down in verse 36. He saw that they were what? Distressed and dispirited. Now, again, from a, a Greek standpoint, those two words are interesting to me. And I want you to hear how a couple of other Bible translations have rendered them into English. The ESV, or the English Standard Version, translates these two words, harassed and helpless. When Jesus saw the people, he saw that they were harassed and helpless. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates the two words this way, weary and worn out. When Jesus saw the people, he saw that they were weary and worn out. Hey, do you work around anybody that's weary and worn out? Do you know people in the neighborhood you live in that are weary and worn out? Running the rat race, fighting in the world we live in, and they're just worn out. They're harassed and helpless. Helpless. Don't know where to turn. Don't know where to go. Don't know who to look to for help. Or they're distressed and dispirited. Dispirited. Maybe they need encouragement. 
See, when Jesus saw the people and got past all the external things, what he recognized was, wow, they're weary, they're worn out, distressed, dispirited, harassed, and helpless. What do you see when you drive up and down your street in the neighborhood you live in? What do you see when you stand across the counter from a cashier at Walmart or Aldi's or wherever you shop? What do you see when you're pumping gas at the gas station? What do you see when you look across your, the office or your workplace or where? What do you see in the school where you go and attend classes and you look at your classmates? Do you see people or do you just see hair or piercings or tattoos or whatever? Jesus saw the people. See, for us to really be able to see like Jesus sees, we've got to see below the surface. And here's what's interesting also. Look at verse 36 again, kind of focused here for a moment. When Jesus saw the people, what's the next phrase in your Bible say? What did he feel? Compassion. See, this particular Greek word that's translated compassion in our Bibles is a Greek word, splachna. Be careful if you try to say that too close to somebody. You might get something on them. Splachna. But here's what's interesting about that particular word. It literally means bowels. Or as I grew up hearing in Georgia, innards. I mean, that's literally what the word means. But it has this idea. It's as if, um, let's say you, you saw something on the news, a, a tragic scene unfolded on the news and you just thought, man, that made my insides hurt to see that. God, it made my heart ache to, to see that or to hear about that. My insides were moved when I heard that or when I saw that scene unfold on the news. That's the idea that Matthew uses when he describes what he saw in Jesus on this occasion. When Jesus saw the people, his insides hurt. He was moved on the inside because of what he saw. And he felt compassion for them. If we want to be able to see the most unchurched region in the U.S. like Jesus sees it, we need to see people. In, in some parts of the state of New York, there's less than 3% of a population that would be considered evangelical. See, turn that number around. That's over 97% lost. In the state next to us in Vermont, 1.8% evangelized. That's over 98% lost. And we've got statistics like that all over New England and the Northeast, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire, places all around us here in, in New York. What do you see? To be able to see like Jesus sees, number one, we need to make sure in our own lives we're moving in the right direction. Number two, we need to make sure we can get past those external things and see below the surface. And then finally, and I, with this I know we need to close. Number three, we need to get to a place where we can pray 
past our needs. Pray past our needs. I'm not saying neglect your needs, no. In fact, just a few chapters prior, if you turn back in Matthew's gospel, just a couple of pages to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us to pray for our needs. In what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 11. Here's what Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. So we're to pray for our needs. Yes, we're to pray for our families. Yes, we're to pray for our, our, our leaders in our churches. Yes, or to pray for our co-workers. Yes, or to pray for, and the list can go on. So yes, we're not to neglect those things. But see, a lot of times what we forget is the verse that comes before verse 11 that says, give us this day our daily bread. What's that verse say? Your kingdom come, your will be done. See, a lot of times, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, we get rushed in the morning and, and so we have a short time to pray or devote to Bible reading and in our short time to pray we forget, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we just go straight to the gimme, gimme, gimme. And we don't ever get to a place where we pray past our own needs. Now come back to Matthew chapter 9. If we really want to be able to see things around us like Jesus sees, we've got to come to a place where we're willing to pray past our needs. Look at verses 37 and 38. I read those a moment ago. We just studied verse 36. Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion. He recognized that they were distressed, dispirited. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And verse 37 says this. Jesus said to his disciples, go home. There's no hope. Nothing we can do for them. Absolutely not. Verse 38 says this. Here's what Jesus said to them. Beseech the Lord. Pray! Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into His harvest. By the way, note that last phrase. It's His harvest. He just needs helpers to collect it. It's His. It's His harvest. And so when Jesus saw what He saw, He didn't just throw up His hands and say, Man! It's too much. Can't do it. It's too hard. See, when I talk to people in the South, anyway, about the Northeast from time to time, they talk about how hard it is to minister in the Northeast and how cold it is, not only climate-wise, but just the, the atmosphere in general and talk about how hard and how difficult and oh, you try to witness and this and that and the other thing. Well, it is hard. But it's not impossible. And that's the difference. Just because something's hard doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means we've got to pray a little harder, got to be a little more intentional and be a little more fervent. See, praying past our own needs. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out labors into his harvest. But boy, that's a hard prayer to pray, isn't it? Because what if I start praying, God, send out labors into the harvest. God, send out labors into the 
harvest of, of the Northeast. God sent out laborers into the harvest of Thailand. God sent out laborers, and then, you know, a knock comes on my heart's door. Because, see, I've been there. When God was dealing with me about going to Brazil, I thought, oh, oh, Lord, I'm just praying that you send out laborers. I'm not talking about me. I can remember just like it was yesterday, my first seminary class in 1988. I was sitting in a personal evangelism class with Dr. B. Gray Allison. And Dr. Allison one day on a whiteboard wrote two numbers. Wrote 90 and 10. And he turned around and addressed the class and said, do you, do you students know what these two numbers represent? And I thought, well, if it's the range of test scores after our first exam, I hope I'm closer <laughs> to the 90 part. And I, he went on to explain that 90, there's only 10% of the preachers where 90% of the people are. And he said, do you think those numbers are, are, are right? And I thought, well, I, I don't know math real well, but that, that statistic seems a little off. But here's the next thought, literally, I had in class that day. As I looked around the room with those other students, I thought, some of you guys need to get out there and change that number. <laughs> I'm just being honest. That was the next thought that went through my mind. I wasn't thinking, Sean, you need to get out there and help change that number. See, a lot of times, like Isaiah 6, when Isaiah prayed, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Frequently what our prayer is, Here am I, Lord. Send Jeff. Send Pastor Robbie. He went to seminary. He's got the training. Send whoever. That's a hard prayer to pray. God. Send out laborers into the harvest. God, send out laborers into the harvest. It's your harvest. Please send out laborers. Now, I want you to know, now that I, you guys are getting ready to celebrate a 10th anniversary, in January, my wife and I will celebrate 10 years of being here in the Northeast. Think how much of the southern accent I've lost in 10 years <laughs> of being here in the Northeast. I want you to know, since I've been here in 10 years, I have a greater appreciation for a Robbie Langford that God sent to a harvest here, a greater appreciation for other guys just like him that have heard God call and God sending guys like that into a harvest. If we really want to see like Jesus sees, number one, We've got to keep moving. We've got to make sure we're moving personally in our own lives, spiritually, in the right direction. Number two, we need to make sure that we're willing to see below the surface. And then number three, we've got to come to a place where we're willing to pray past our own needs. We're not, not neglecting our own needs. Jesus says, pray. Give us this day our daily bread but that we pray past that and pray, God, your will be done here on earth as it was in heaven. Then we can come to a place where we're able to see like Jesus sees.
Well, let me pray, and we'll close this portion of the service. Father, you know in my own life how this passage has challenged me over and over again to make sure I'm seeing as you would have me to see, how I've been challenged to make sure my life is moving in the right direction, how I've been challenged, Father, to make sure I'm seeing people and seeing below the surface, and how I've been challenged, Father, to make sure I'm praying past my needs. And so I'm grateful for the reminder this morning from your word. I'm so grateful, Father, for your love for us, and I'm so grateful for the harvest that's out there. And so, God, as I conclude this prayer this morning, I'm going to pray what Jesus prayed or taught us to pray at the end of Matthew 9, and that's this. God, please send out laborers into your harvest. I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.